0: Welcome to the second season of Our Triune Pod. We are still preparing you to praise. Join me, the Reverend Nick Comiskey, and the Reverend Bendy Hart for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the Psalms. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time.
1: Welcome back to our Triune pod with Nick and
0: Ben. Nick, what's going on in Raleigh? Lent season of Lent and um, I had a lot of activity. It is. I I I feel like I try to to not have busy as a kind of standard description of my life, but I'm uh, I'm pushing the limits here, man. It does feel mm-hmm. pretty full. Um, yeah. But you're so you important. Know, no not you're at all so necessary not at all um <laughs> no they're just like house it doesn't matter i don't need to go into that but um we both I'm,
1: feel the same way yeah, uh, yeah i mean you you're working harder than i am but yeah i, I don't know I about feel that the same thing i don't know if that's like a post-covid thing like everyone feels that way or is that just we're special because we're ministers and we're dealing with like people's
0: real issues maybe yeah maybe real like yeah uh, accountability stuff like like uh, organizational charts and stuff like that that's what i'm thinking about um but uh how are you man what's going on in your life i'm good man um
1: yeah chelsea is coming to to birmingham today who's, and who's, so that'll be chelsea you know my girlfriend okay she's, she's a good egg uh, let's talk about megan next week so we can make this weird <laughs> but yeah she'll, she'll be here uh through saturday and uh, i'm gonna do a lenten talk at a church about an hour north uh, actually listeners you Jay Gardner was once uh, a guest, and I'm going to go up to his church and give a talk on the colics because you know Nick and I are experts. Oh wow! In-
0: Just recycling that content, baby. Come
1: on! I hope for the rest of my life. Yeah, I too, thought man. about. I've
0: been thinking about like writing a book on them.
1: Like I'm or, or trying to probably self-publish, uh, but then <laughs> <laughs> then I um I thought to myself, man, I can't publish this stuff because if my parishioners ever get a hold of it, I I won't be able to like preach on that or teach yeah. on that anymore. That's true. So, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Maybe, maybe when I die, I'll give it to my kids or something like that. Yeah. And then pos- hopefully by then, I'll be famous of
0: 3,000 people at my church. You know, I'll be remembered forever. That's good, man. That's yeah. So, you, uh, Lent is a big deal at uh, the Advent Cathedral. Oh, yeah. Has Every it been fun? single day, we have a preacher
1: preach. It's usually like two or three preachers a week. Some of them preach more than one day. And uh, this week is awesome. This guy named Drew Rollins from um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He's a campus minister there. He gave three very touching, just gold sermons. So if you can go to the Cathedral Church of the Advents podcast page and check out Drew Rollins' three sermons. Forget Craig, forget me. Drew, Drew won this week. So.
0: Oh, I love it, man. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, man. Well, so... You know, we've been doing some movies, some music for Unrelated recently. And I thought, let's go back to like analyzing an article because we're, you know, such cultural experts. And uh, some of you may know Oliver Berkman. He has this email newsletter and he, his last newsletter was about becoming news resilient. Uh, You know, I don't know if you're anything like me, listener, but I have been doom scrolling about Ukraine and the war, and it's really affected my mental health. (laughs) Um, But I really resonate with what he writes here, because I think that, you know, for me, being so informed about it and uh, personalizing other people's experiences has made me feel self-righteous. But here's a a great uh, paragraph from that article. He says, but assuming you're not reading this news in an active war zone, it doesn't follow that you need to mentally inhabit those stories all day long. It doesn't make you a better person, and it doesn't make life any easier for Ukrainian refugees to spend an hour or to spend hour upon hour marinating in precisely those narratives over which you can exert the least influence. And I don't know about you, Nick, but that just struck me to the core. I don't even think I thought I felt like a better person because I was so informed and just feeling everyone's pain. Uh, feeling guilty about like essentially not being in Ukraine experiencing their horrors. But yeah, I thought, I thought it was not just a good diagnosis, but a good, like what to do. It's just like, limit your news intake, uh, make a financial donation, acknowledge your powerlessness, and then just kind of move on with the needs of the day because it's not helping them to inhabit their pain. What do you, what do you think? What do you make yeah. Of that?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, um I think, it's something I, I ask myself a lot and it's something I, I don't oftentimes ask people this because it can come off as mean, but it's like, would you care about this issue or a better way to put it is, would you even have any knowledge of this issue if the internet didn't exist? Like so much of what we care about is stuff that mm-hmm. has no bearing on our actual lives. And the only reason why we know about it is because the internet exists. Like I thought about this a lot in 2020, running up to the election. Um, Not, I think there's issues involving our politics that affect our daily lives, but people on both the right and the left would freak out about an incident that occurred in Kentucky or in San Francisco on both sides of the issues. You know, like a white supremacist did X or a crazy liberal did Y. And it's like, yeah, maybe that's true, that does not affect you at all. And the only reason why you know about that is because you read about it online, but it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with your life in Austin, Texas, or your life in Raleigh, North Carolina, or your life in Birmingham, Alabama. And people are so spun in these narratives about what's happening in our country and in our world, quote unquote, but, but most of those have nothing to do with their actual lives. It's just stuff they read about online. And so if the internet didn't exist, you wouldn't know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're not real. So what what, what are
1: you contributing? It's, I mean, I guess the goal is change. And for the example you just gave, it's just the result seems to be an increased anxiety, tribalism, increased uh, polarization, anxiety, et cetera. I would push back and say that, I mean, maybe this isn't what you meant, but I think we would have heard of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. (laughs) Of course, Um, of course. And uh, and probably some of the disaster that's happened. But yeah, I mean, I think maybe what you're saying is like that round the clock, like this war, I mean, even more than the war in 2003, right, with the, the Iraq invasion, we have smartphones, everything is being documented. We can watch it in real time. There's no such thing anymore of the, you know, loose lips
0: sink ships um i guess everything's being broadcast i guess my point is this like okay imagine this war took place 100 years ago people would still everyone would know about it like Mm -hmm. because every major newspaper in the country it's not like media and mass media is new like mass media has been around for a long time everyone would know about it but you might read one article about it in the morning and maybe if you live in a Mm -hmm. city like new york you'd like another daily evening newspaper but it would be a very small a very self-contained section of your life and so your ability to like live in this tragedy is purely a function of the internet and i think in some ways like acting like I guess what I'm trying to say is like one way to become news resilient is to act as if the internet doesn't exist.
1: (laughs) It's just to like, Mm -hmm. you know, like essentially what he was saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like engage with it as you would like a form of printed media, which is like, it is helpful to be informed. Like as a Christian, it's like, yeah, you can pray, you can, you can pray in solidarity with our Ukrainian and Russian brothers and sisters in Christ who are affected by this, not equally, but you know, you can be informed, but you don't have to, inhabit these really awful situations and of course that's a privilege that's a luxury like i'm well aware of that but like to berkman's point you're not doing anything for anyone by turning your insights out by just scrolling over the internet you know like yeah. you know like there's some people at our church who our church has a long-standing connection with what is essentially inner varsity in ukraine and so like i'm getting email updates from actual like college student Christian college students who are like fleeing their homes and like praying for, you know, very, and like, that's different, you know, like, I don't know these people, but some people know these people. So like, you know, it's like a telegraph or whatever, you know, like there's ways I'm not saying for everyone, it is like this. I'm saying for the mass, mass majority of people their involvement in this, in any situation is just like completely mediated through the internet. And so in some ways it's like, is it even real? You know, I don't know. I don't know. That's my old man and get off my yard. Take of the uh, day.
1: well, I mean, if world war three happens, if this is like the Cuban missile crisis, we'll probably want to retract this episode, but um, no, I think, I, I think yeah. it's a great point. I think just I, how to live in your life.
0: Yeah, I did. I thought a little bit about that because like, Cause like, I remember, I mean, I, I, this is very laughable. Like I definitely remember during early COVID having like no, I have no scientific background. I have no knowledge of how viruses work, obviously, but I just I remember, can't wait to hear what you're I, to know, saying I just, I just remember <laughs> thinking to myself, like, well, I've never experienced anything truly global cataclysmic before. Like, obviously no one has like this. And so I was like, it can't be that bad. I just had this reflexive sense of like, oh, I remember reading about, SARS and I remember reading about other viruses and I'm like yeah people got freaked out and then it just kind of went away like surely COVID has to be like that and then obviously I was so profoundly wrong I was so (laughs) profoundly wrong and so I've been thinking about this Russia thing and it's like yeah my immediate reaction was like well surely this isn't going to spin out of control and create some like actually bad situation for most people then I'm like well I was wrong about that two years ago like maybe (laughs) I'm going to be wrong about that again you know maybe I shouldn't trust my natural inclination to like you know kind of like put water on the fire of panic you know it's like i'm sure it's gonna be fine it's like well i'm oh for (laughs) one so nevertheless
1: what are you and i gonna if if world war three happens then we will welcome our lord jesus christ into our lives so (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe it's too easy but here we go (laughs) all right psalm 63 i hope everyone (laughs) loved that um i'll read it and then nickel enlighten us oh god you are my god Eagerly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a brazen and dry land where there is no water. Therefore, I have gazed upon you in your holy place, that I might behold your power and your glory. For your love and kindness is better than life itself. My lips shall give you praise. So will I bless you as long as I live and lift up my hands in your name. My soul is content as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you and the night watches for you have been my helper and under the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me fast. All right, Nick
0: 63, one through eight. What do you do? What do I do? Um, I think it's, it's a meditation at least at the outset on the human thirst for God. Uh, It's uh, a psalm that is acknowledging and in some ways kind of performing, and I don't mean that in a negative way, this desire that we all have to be in communion with the living God. Um, And as Christians, we would say, you know, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I think the jumping off point here at the outset of this conversation is around this idea of thirst. And what are you thirsty for? And how the soul um, is ultimately satisfied, or at least is momentarily or quenched, or that thirst is, I don't know exactly what to say here, extended by virtue of like being in living contact with God. Um, you know, first, the second half of uh, verse one, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a barren and dry land where there is no water this psalm, like all the psalms were written in Israel, ancient Israel, you know, it's a very barren, dry landscape. And um, that notion that water is, is life itself. And, you know, with apart from water, you quite literally cannot sustain life. And I think in some metaphorical way, the psalmist is saying, you know, our souls were built and designed for a grounded union with God. And in the absence of that, you wither and die like a dry and barren land where there is no water. So you know, what are you thirsty for, man? That's what I'm going to yeah. leave you with.
1: I'm wondering, like, what causes
0: this thirst? Do you think it's
1: like this? This, this author is in trouble. Is uh, is is he experiencing like the dark night of the soul? Uh, I mean, maybe all these things can be true, but uh, yeah, like, what what causes? you to be thirsty for god i mean uh i kind of wish i i didn't experience that thirst because i was you know i'd be true to like being in the word all the time and and really kind of feeling on the up and up and um and yet you know this is even even a psalmist praise this way so um,
0: i mean i think that like mystical tradition you know in some ways the more i don't think being thirsty for god you're not implying this. Being thirsty for God, your soul being stretched with longing for communion is a healthy thing. (laughs) Like you're in trouble if you're not. And the closer you get, you know, God is this limitless ocean and all we can do in our sinfulness is, you know, weighed in ankle deep. So the deeper you get in, the more you long to be Mm -hmm. consumed, you know, like all the great mystical writers were people whose entire lives were oriented around communion with God. And they are the most ardent, eloquent um, expressions of thirst, you know? So like, it's, it's not, you know, the more you're, the more you do it, the more you want it, you know? And so I think it's like, it's the absence of thirst that is in some sense, the problem. It's kind of like, there's this great story. I mean, I bet I've heard this story from like four different authors. So who knows who I first said it, but it's like that idea of like the most tragic thing in the world is a silent orphanage, you know, like babies are born into the world to expect connection with their parents and expect that when they cry, their parents hear them. And so in a quiet orphanage is, is like, those babies have learned, that no one comes when they cry. That's very sentimental. And it's not exactly proven my point, my, 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 but what I'm trying to connect is this notion that like the soul's natural state is to thirst for God. And the absence of thirst is actually a sign of like dis-ease. It's thirst that is healthy. You know, it's, sat- yeah. it's like smug satisfaction with like the banal pleasures of the world. That is, that is the real problem. That
1: makes me think of a good place, the ending of a good place kind of an answer to that. Like, you know, what, what is heaven? If is heaven just kind of this, you know, we're there forever and ever and it gets boring after a while. And I think the answer to that is like the early church fathers saying, you're never not learning. Yeah. But I, I like your illustration of the deeper you get in, it's almost a thirstier. you Yeah. Get. Yeah. Just, this like dramatic acknowledgement of, of I guess it's human limitation, um, yeah, for lack of a better word. That that God is wholly other, and we there's never enough. Yeah,
0: growing in God. Yeah, and I don't I don't know what it is. What I mean, (laughs) this is going to sound a little whatever smartness, but I don't know what it's like on the other side of death. (laughs) But on on this side, you know, I think there's something very like I think the best that life gets is. Cultivating the right kinds of thirst, you know, like Jesus says, "Blessed are you, hunger and thirst." Like I think the best, the best that life gets in some ways is to, is to have the have a have a strong unquenchable desire for the one thing that will satisfy you. I think, like you know, and that I mean I never connected that before to the beatitudes, but I think that's Jesus is pronouncing blessing on people who are not filled, who are not full, but who are yearning to be full. um Like you know, I don't know, like. To you know, to um, this might take us on a rabbit trail, but are not just not be a helpful illustration. But like, one of the one of the reasons why I love like riding bikes so much is like, it's really satisfying to be hungry you know, it's very hard in our affluent Western society to like ever need food, crave food. You know, that's just not something most of us ever actually deal with on a somatic like level. But like, you know, you do a lot of exercise. It's like, man, I'm really hungry for dinner. It's going to be great, you know, and then the meal is satisfying. So it's like, you know, cultivating that kind of thirst for God, like the quote unquote spiritual disciplines that you might ostensibly think are designed to fill you with God. I actually think are more about awakening and clarifying your hunger for God, you know, like you fast, not in order to be filled with his presence, but you fast to kind of physically punctuate your longing. You know what I'm saying?
1: No, that's good. Because I mean, that kind of changes my interpretation of, I guess, verse two. Therefore, I have gazed upon you in your holy place. Um, I won't say any more, but essentially I got the impression that the psalmist, his need has been met. His soul has been satisfied, and while on some level that might be true, but it's not as if wherever we're continually being satisfied yes yeah. kind of going deeper and deeper into those waters yeah i really like that i mean dang nick that's pretty good you know, <laughs> after uh after a stumbling <laughs> unrelated you, totally redeemed you didn't
0: you didn't like you didn't like my uh... uh news resiliency yeah i mean and i think uh i as i've mentioned a few times before uh, earlier episodes, I'm in, I'm deep down this David Foster Wallace rabbit hole, which I know is like toxic. And it's something, you know, girls who see David Foster Wallace books on guys, night sands are supposed to run. But I would just argue if you actually read David Foster Wallace, he's such an incredible writer. Um, I'm sure he's complicated and problematic in ways. I realize that, but he's just incredible. And, uh, one of the things that he talks about a lot in both his novels and his nonfiction is just the, that we live in this world, in the moment that we live in now that is designed to satisfy you with like consumer good, you know, like the main engine that drives our economy and employs millions and millions of people is just creating needs that don't really exist. And that you, so you experience a phenomenon of satis- satisfaction with like the best new iPhone or some like dishwashing device that you can get on Amazon or whatever. And there's this line that he has in um, a book, in a published interview with him that became the basis for that movie um, End of the Tour with, like, Jason Siegel. Anyway, it's, a, it's called, Although in the End You Just End Up Becoming Yourself. And um, he talks about, David Foster Wallace talks about how the basic existential experience as a quote-unquote American male is um, fear. Uh, and he says this, the face that I'd put on the terror is the dawning realization that nothing's enough that no pleasure is enough, that no achievement is enough, that there's a kind of queer dissatisfaction or emptiness at the core of the self that is unassuageable by outside stuff. And my guess is that that's that's been what's been going on forever, ever since people were hitting each other over the head with clubs. (laughs) I think it's such an eloquent description of you know what christianity would say is this this you know psalm 63 would say you know oh god you are my god eagerly like i seek you my soul thirsts for you there's this queer emptiness or dissatisfaction at the core of the self and outside stuff even if it's helpful and necessary for our embodied lives just does not scratch that itch man it does not satisfy you
1: that's actually become very um evident in my life i i moved from a i did the opposite of what most people do i Move from a two-bedroom apartment in New York City to a one-bedroom apartment here in Birmingham. Wow, And yeah. I just, you know, I, like, I didn't think I had that much stuff, but when you, you know, when you have two bedrooms, you fill it, you just kind of acquire things, and you, again, you think that'll kind of fill you. Um, but right now, I've been really trying to get rid of things, and I haven't had as much an urge when I see those Instagram ads to press the purchase button, just because it's just like, well, I... I can't have any more things. And I think that that has in in some ways kind of made me a little bit aware of what you're talking about without even realizing it. Um, seeing that all these things, when you know that initial satisfaction of purchasing it or or eh, you know, you might even be very satisfied with what you had, uh, what you which you bought. But I mean, there's always going to be more, And our, you know, (laughs) the market is built on manufacturing needs that we don't actually have. Mm -hmm. That's really good. That's really good. (laughs) All
0: right, man. Psalm 63. Oh, God, you are my God. Eagerly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a barren and dry land where there is no water. Therefore, I have gazed upon you in your holy place, that I might behold your power And your glory for your loving kindness is better than life itself. My lips shall give you praise. So will I bless you as long as I live and lift up my hands in your name. My soul is content as with marrow and fatness and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches for you have been my helper and under the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me fast.
1: How about that episode of our trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the Outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.